Welcome to Conscious Curiosity SD, where successful San Diego leaders share their stories of leading beyond profit and are using the influence of business to positively change the companies and communities we all work and live in. I'm your host, Jeff Blanton from Jailbreak Leadership, a unique set of processes that unlock the unlimited passion and potential of your team to create a 10x result in your business. I want to thank our collaborative community of San Diego business organizations, the Better Business Bureau, Conscious Capitalism, Be Local, and Cause San Diego. We're all focused on impacting the community of San Diego through the work they do as business leaders. Welcome to the show. Have you ever met that business owner who put everything, I mean everything, into their business? The business or career took precedence over kids' birthday parties, the marriage, or maybe even their health. Sure, there was success after all those years, but now in the back end of their career, with thoughts of retiring or selling the business, means essentially letting go of one's identity. Who would I be if I'm not the founder, owner, or CEO of the company? Today in the studio, we have an amazing leader who cracked that nut a long time ago, and I'm hoping he's going to share the secrets to both success and living a life of significance. Tom Capizzi Jr., welcome to Conscious Curiosity SD. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Tom is a bi-coastal leader, president of Capizzi Home Improvement back on Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and owner of Americal Design and Remodeling here in San Diego. And, and he's a very accomplished race car driver, which I'm very excited to talk about a little bit later in the show. Tom and his companies have a long list of accomplishments, and most recently, Tom's team won 2023 Torch Award for Ethics, which I think we'll find ties directly into living a life of significance. So, Tom, congratulations, first off, and uh, being a Torch Award winner. That's a big deal here in San Diego. Let's kick things off a little bit. Tell us a little bit about the business and then maybe how that tied into why you guys pursued uh, the Better Business Bureau Torch Award and give us the scope of what you're up to. Yeah, sure. Well, Gary, Mark, Hill, and I have been great friends since 1993 and uh, years and years of networking together. I had a business in Cape Cod, Mass., which I still do, and he had Mark Hill Design and Remodeling here. And so for over 20 years, we kind of networked, became friends. I would come to San Diego every year to visit. My wife's whole family's here. So long story short, in 2015, I got involved in the business as a co-owner, the Better Business Bureau, Torch Award. We, I think this is our 10th go at it. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, exactly. And so it, it means a lot to us. And uh, basically it's it shows the, the team behind the company because they're really the ones doing this that have become worthy to receive such an award. Yeah, it's not easy actually to, uh, you can't just go, oh, I want to go do this or buy, you know, buy a ticket or whatever. And all of a sudden I'm a winner. I mean, there's actually uh, some tough competition and uh, they try to do a good job of really sorting through who should receive that uh, award. So they do. Once again, congratulations. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Talk a little bit more about the business. What, what's it look like? What are you guys doing? Sure. Um, we're, you know, full service design, build, remodeling firm and custom home building as well. And so basically our clientele are people who are looking for a turnkey total relationship from start to finish, right from the early design concepts to full plans, to the permitting, to the construction, to the post support warranty work for years ahead to stand behind the job, all the above. And basically being a, you know, 1981 founded company, you know, we offer that peace of mind. So kind of hand the keys over to you guys and you take care of business. Yes. <laughs> with with great ethics. That's <laughs> you, right. You got us to do it right. 
kind of interesting. So I'm, I'm assuming the business on the East Coast is a similar business? It's similar. It, the difference is there. We are a more full service home improvement and remodeling company, meaning we'll do smaller jobs, a siding job, a roofing job, as well as the design build remodeling additions, kitchens, baths. We're Marikel Design and Remodeling. We strictly stick to the design build projects that are the larger scale, higher end jobs. Now that was a family business, right? Your dad founded that business? Yes, that's right. Yeah. So you, you grew up in this whole world. That's right. I don't know any better. Decided never to leave. This, this is home. This is where I'm going to hang right. out, right? That's right. That's <laughs> I, I love that. So are, do you live in Cape Cod on, on the Cape or? Yes. Yeah, so, so I live, you know, roughly half and half, um, travel back and forth between Cape Cod and San Diego. My uh, junior year in high school, we moved to uh, Franklin, Mass. Yeah. So on the weekends, during the summer anyways, uh, that was the place to go. Go hang out in Cape Cod. Had Absolutely. a few friends that had the cottages and that kind of stuff on the Cape as well. Fond memories of Cape Cod. Even an annual bike trip every year, I used to go ride my bike from Franklin all the way to P-Town. Wow. <laughs> that was my big, big. my big adventure. Well, I was a kid, so I was like, yeah. <laughs> you could, I could do that back then, not now, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> so talk a little bit about how, um, so you're from Massachusetts. The wife was originally from San Diego. And so kind of back to your story a little bit, which I read a little bit about, like kind of, you know, you wanted to have the ability to spend time out here, have your kids spend some time out here. So that kind of led a little bit to what you decided to do as far as how you wanted to run your business. So maybe talk a little bit how you kind of ended up being able to, uh, I think one of the things you said was, don't be handcuffed to the front door. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm so what does sure. that, what does that mean, Tom? Yeah. Well, uh, somewhere in the mid nineties there, um, I kind of just decided, cause I'd been working really long and hard to that point, And I just kind of wanted to make a deliberate plan to not be handcuffed to the front door of the business. Um, not have the business be the one and all consuming thing that, you know, was me. So I made, you know, a deliberate plan to learn and network, go to lots of seminars, conferences, everything I could to educate myself to, you know, build a company and a team because it's really about people and processes, the right people and the right processes, uh, and then build it towards a place where the company did not rely on me to operate day to day. That's the key thing, like replace myself and my tasks and what I was doing with others. And often, most times, maybe all the time, they do it better than me. That was re- really the That's goal. It's disturbing at some level, yeah, but then, exactly. yeah, then you realize, but, oh, this is actually a good yeah, deal. You have to admit it. <laughs> but yeah, so that was, you know, I wanted, I had other interests in life and business and personal. And yes, I wanted to start spending a few months a year in San Diego in the winters. And so that was the first big move was seeing if I could just leave for three months. And so I would leave every winter for like seven years in a row, three months coming to San Diego, where my wife's whole family was. But it was basically a deliberate plan to do just that, you know, and try to create a a culture and the right people where they could be more, say, self-reliant without coming to me for all the answers. Maybe a little more detail on that. And was there like kind of an evolution of that where, you know, first you kind of replace the areas that you maybe even felt like that's not my sweet spot. So let's go get that person in there. Or, I mean, just how did you go about making it? Cause obviously you didn't just like flip a switch one day and say, okay, I got a whole new team that's ready to go make this happen. Or I empowered my current team. Like what, what were kind of the steps to, to make that happen? Cause I think this is a, a topic that's huge for, small business owners for sure, which is a lot of our audience and your BBB have a lot of main street businesses and giving some guidance in this space is huge. Yeah. Well, and I guess it it comes down to what someone really wants to, it's a personal decision. What is they want to do in their business or not do in their business. Right. So for me, like I said, I didn't want it to be 
reliant on me every day, every hour, 40 hours a week parked in the business. It's also not as, you know, probably not as strong as a company if it's, if it's relying on one person like that. Um, as well as I, you know, yeah, I had other interests and other things I wanted to do with my time. I had other business interests in mind. I had personal interests, you know, racing, just a lot of things that I just wanted to be able to do. And I wanted the business to serve me as well as me serve it. Right? I like that. Not like, like there's direction. a philosophy right there, right? Yeah. yeah. No, exactly. And so as far as how I did it, I can't tell you there was like a switch or anything, but yes, I had good people already. And then I just shared the idea. Sort of empowerment. Um, for them. Yeah, exactly. And I am a little bit of a ready fire aim guy, you know, so nothing can be really completely perfectly dialed in, right? You have to take leaps of faith along the way. You know, what I did in the first leap of faith was really, you know, like I said, three months, you know, going to San Diego and you're still connected. Back then it was fax machine and pagers. Right. Um, but so it wasn't that big of a stretch. Were, um, were you a little nervous that first trip going, okay, here I go and let's see how this goes? Or were you pretty confident in the move? Well, it's funny. I will, I'll, I'll never forget the very first month I did it because when I, you know, shared what I was doing and I wanted to go to San Diego for three months and kind of led up to it. And then when I, when I actually left and came to San Diego for the month one of three months. Nobody called for like a month. <laughs> I, I, it, it took me a lot to not reach out for a month. And finally I reached out to my number one guy at the time. And I said, how's it going? What's up? He said, nothing. What's up with you? He had nothing to say. He had nothing for me. And like, so obviously you did a really good job before you left. I don't right? know. Maybe I did a really good job of don't bother me. Yeah, uh, I'm yeah. not sure, but it was, um, it was really cool uh, to have that happen more like people will rise to the occasion when they're put into the occasion, the opportunity. And that's kind of what I found. And it was maybe a little bit spooky that first month and two, because- Especially when the phone didn't ring. Well, yeah, you just didn't know what to expect, (laughs) right? And um, so it kind of went amazing as far as that goes. And then it it was kind of second really nature. And then after about six or seven years of doing that three months, um, then I basically added nine months to it and I moved out of the state of Massachusetts completely and moved to Florida full this time. Is, this is working. Years. Why not just lean yeah, into it? Right. Exactly. And then I didn't even have a home in Cape Cod, Massachusetts during those early years. And, um, the business was able to operate, you know, as it's an ongoing, you know, entity without my being even in the same state full time. So, and then I just had other business uh, activities going on and long story short, leading up to 2015, got into involved in Markel Design and Remodeling, started living half and half, Cape Cod, San Diego. And so it was like a personal and professional perfect storm. I'm in the industry already. I have a friend, Gary Markel, in the business. We knew each other for years, very like-minded. Plus my wife's whole family's here and we were coming back and forth here for 30 years, you know, visiting the family and really both things professionally and personally just aligned to pull that trigger. Uh, And it's been great. Your story kind of reminds me uh, when I read uh, The 4-Hour Workweek by uh, Tim Ferriss a gazillion yeah. years ago, and it was kind of like that same sort of thing happened where he walked away from the business and they're like, you know, like tripled in value or something while he was gone. And it's like, well, this is interesting. Yeah. One of my very first jobs out of college, I had a very micromanager for a supervisor. And I kind of hated the job anyways. It was like writing procedures kind of thing and not, not my gig. But I have to say at some point, I'm just like, I just didn't feel like doing anything. Cause it's like, all right, he's gonna rewrite the thing. So let me just slop something down and I'll just sit here and goof off because uh, that's the way it works here. It just goes a long ways when you actually have some expectations of people and let them loose and give them some guidance and say, okay, let's see, let's see what happens. Yeah. 
business owners and leaders, I mean, we often are, we, we get in our own way and we get in the way of others that work for us, you know? And so I, I can't say I, I, I do it perfectly, but I strive to not micromanage and to let the, the business and the, the lion's share of the decisions be done by the key people in the company. Yeah. I also see that you had won uh, the kind of the best boss uh, award multiple times uh, back in the day, at least in your industry area. How did that happen? I mean, is that something where the employees actually weigh in, they take a survey or something or how, how did, how, how did that all come? And what do you think was behind that? What made you the best boss? Yeah. Well, uh, certified, the fact that you left town. It was, yeah, right. There you go. Hey, it doesn't bother us. <laughs> well, vote for him. You leave. Yeah. Tom. <laughs> Try to, Leave them alone most of the time. Yes. That's another goal. Um, but Certified Contractors Network, CCN, mm-hmm. that's a, a contracting network that I've been a member of for over 25 years. And so they have contractors that are members, coast to coast, a couple hundred usually. Uh, and they have everything you could imagine. It's like a college for contractors to learn every aspect of being a contractor. And part of that also is they have different, um, you know, yeah, nominations, you know, the best employee, the best office manager, uh, the best salesperson, most improved salesperson, best production manager, all those, you know, every year nominate and best boss is one of them and best company is another and most improved company. So it's a a great camaraderie and goal Mm -hmm. and everybody that strives for, you know, reaching a level where your peers would vote you. So to answer your question, how it gets voted in the, the 200 companies that are out there that are members. Yeah. They are part of the voting say process. And so there's nomination letters written in by SR employees, as well as other members might write a nomination in about me. And I may write a nomination letter about another member friend. So it's, it's a collaboration of that, right. you know, being nominated and then, then there's a vote. So there's nomination letters sent in and by anybody who wants to, and then there's a vote. A little bit of a sorting process. Yeah. So I also saw that you're, um, have a very much of a sales background, which uh, I think is like one of those key things in creating a small business becoming successful. I'll, I'll even look at myself and I think I'm like a lot of folks. I'm really good at doing this thing that I do. Going out and selling it might be a whole other story, right? Mm-hmm. A little different skill set. Sure. Maybe talk a little bit about that. I think you've done a lot of training in that space as well. Maybe give us a, lot of, kind of a few tips from, from Tom in regards to, you know, what, how, how do you best go out and move your product, move your services? Sure. Well, yeah, in my, when I was direct selling, it was basically about a 13-year sales career where I was out there personally on the road. You were the guy. I was the guy doing a lot of the sales, which basically for me ended in 2001. And that was kind of cold turkey. It was May of 2001. Uh, just sometimes in life you have epiphanies and whatnot. And I was doing one of my uh, my winters here in San Diego, literally just jogging down the beach in Pacific Beach and just kind of had an epiphany that it was time for me to move out of selling personally. And because I've been doing a lot of it at a mm-hmm. heavy volume and a lot of hours and all the above. And so it was about a 13 year window of really hard charging there. And so, yeah, like most things I get involved in, I kind of dive in full, did lots of seminars and networks and reading and training. You could, you know, imagine everything. And so I just tried to become, you know, the most competent individual that a homeowner could ask for going to their home. Not so much like you might think of the stereotypical salesperson, salesy person, but really just somebody you know, hopefully I was trying to be somebody that they felt confident in hiring, giving a deposit and 
allowing me to take over their home improvement remodeling project for them. And, you know, just being their advocate, basically, really nothing, nothing too secretive about it. Just be a real person. Know your for space. People. Be yeah. authentic. Yeah, exactly. And just, I just worked hard. I, I basically worked very hard at it. And my clients could see that. Right. You know, I would work swiftly for them, very hard. I'd have their back and just, that was it. And so delved into that. And so that was the big piece of the, when we talked about not continuing to have the handcuffs, you know, mm-hmm. having the sales role, of course, replacing myself with others in the company, hiring others that could take over that revenue generation. So that was a very large part of my making that move to, you know, peel back. So it's talking about being all in, one of the sideshows that you got involved in right outside the business was uh, car racing. Yeah. And uh, you're still very, very active in that. I was watching a couple of your videos here the other day. You're driving a Lamborghini now, I guess. Yeah, yeah that's pretty cool. Yeah. Out on the um, Pro-Am circuit. And so what what led to that? You know, you kind of said when you do things, you, you tend to get all in and you played that game at a very high level, still playing at a very high level. So what's, what's the background behind that? Yeah. So I guess I was, uh, I've been a a race car in my mind since I was a teenager. It just took a long time before it actually happened. So I've always been a car guy, always had, you know, cool cars growing up. And so I finally pulled the trigger at, uh, in 2006 and seven, I did two full seasons, Skip Arbor Racing. It's kind of an open wheel, you know, formula looking type car and did two years and just, just fell in love with it. You know, I did the course, the training, the school and the race. And I won, I won championship in that, that second year. Um, then I took a few years. So you had some natural abilities, I would say, right? Yeah, I'm not sure. I just, I, it seems like most things in my life, personally, I, I don't fall out of bed natural. I think I have to work very hard okay. at everything I do. I don't know, it's just my, my way, Your no matter DNA. what I'm getting involved in. Yeah, some people are just very natural, right? Just see the pants and get in and they're just amazing at it, right? Just right. Like born with that DNA, whatever. And I guess the racing was the same thing for me. I've always had a coach um, and I just had to work hard at it. And that's what I did. So year two, it, it came to fruition. Had a great coach and mentor. And so then I took a few years off. Then I came back and raced a year of Mazda Miata that you're driving now. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that was cool. And then I went from there to- So racing. you're doing the, the, the cup races where I see like 50 of them out there all yeah. <laughs> banging, and banging on each yeah, other. Yeah, <laughs> I think 40 or so was yeah. our, our pack. Yeah. Yeah. So that is some crazy racing right there. It is. Mazda Miata racing is, is pretty intense. And then I moved from there to a few years of uh, racing in BMW improved touring class. And this was all like SCCA, uh, all amateur racing and had some, you know, won three different championships in that as, as the years went along. And then I took, again, four years off. And what, what leads to the breaks? Is it just something like you go, well, um, some other interest? Um, yeah. Or- no, I guess uh, nothing. I'm trying to figure out the DNA. Here. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I can't really say there was anything in particular that would just make the breaks. Just, uh, it's a lot of, it's, it's intense. It's very intense, it's yeah. A lot, it's, it takes a lot of time and energy and effort and it's fun. It's a different kind of fun. It takes, it's, it's, in, it's serious, right? And you have to put a lot into it. And for different reasons, I would just kind of take sabbaticals. And so now I'm, yeah, I did 2019 was my first year back from the last break. And I've, and I've been consistent since then, 2019. And that's, and I entered the professional racing series in 2019 as well. So I've raced a BMW for the last four years and then moved to Lamborghini uh, race team this year, 2023. 
So touring about the country, going on different racetracks at different times and yes. scoring some first I see as well. Yes. So uh, very, very exciting. Thank you. This intensity thing, right? I mean, it's kind of like, like you say, is that, would you say it's kind of a competitive thing? Is it, how would you describe that for yourself? Is it like just a sense of competition or just a kind of your own personal DNA? Was it something, is, is it kind of like inherited? You saw that in your dad, your mom's got that sort of same kind of thing going or where's all that come from? Yeah, I guess, it, yes, very, all very competitive, very competitive, very intense. The racing, the car itself, it's very visceral. It's just, um, it, it's a, it's a very serious time when you're in the race car you can't possibly be thinking about anything else so i guess i've always had to throw myself into things that take me where my head can't be in other places oh i like that and right. racing is definitely that you cannot be you can't be daydreaming can't be looking out the window <laughs> you know what am i gonna do tomorrow at work or yeah right. all that stuff is so it um it puts you in that kind of mental state where you're you're immersed you're all consumed and um, yeah, the competition is, it's fierce, it's awesome, love it. And it's got extreme emotional high highs and low lows. So yes, winning is an amazing feeling of high and, and crashing is the lowest the of worst, the worst. The worst of the worst, yeah. It really and ching right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Things get very expensive really quickly. That's why I drive a Mazda. And I'm yeah. not out competing like you. I'm not banging <laughs> fenders. I'm just right? out there kind of cruising around trying to beat the clock is what I'm trying to yeah. do. Yeah, I get that whole idea of that intensity. And I, I think for some people, they would say, well, that's not relaxing. That's that's a crazy thing to be doing. But kind of depending on how you're wired, I think that uh, makes all the difference. And, and that's a very solo thing at some level when you're in the car. But then the same thing I loved out, I used to race sailboats. It was the team, right? When the whole team's yeah. kind of got that same intensity to go out and compete like that. Yes. No, it, it really, although there's a driver solo is the way it looks, but the team is amazing is an amazing part happen, of yeah. it it does not happen without i mean not only i mean as a driver you got to really feel pretty darn confident that your car was nut and bolted and set up and cared for to be going 175 mile an hour on a track right if you don't have the confidence in the team that just set you out sent you out there that's going to hurt your psyche and so their performance is absolutely shows up on the track yeah for sure how do you see, is there a connection from hobby to work? So, and I, and I bring this up from the respect of one of the things that I do with uh, the teams I work with is I use the Gallup Strength Finders tool for that, help kind of flesh out what your key strengths are. You know, I took the test a gazillion years ago. I'm always addicted to those kinds of tests. I take the test and it's like, okay, oh, wow, that's really interesting, whatever, right? And like most things, you kind of put off the side not to think about it too much after that. I don't know why I did this, Tom, but for some reason I, I was asking myself, like, so why do I go out in the ocean and go essentially go around in circles every weekend and come home, right? And I've been doing this for like many, many years. Oh my God. And some of the level, this is kind of ridiculous. And for whatever reason, I matched up my strengths to the sailboat racing and said, oh, I'm doing this, this, this. It, it just matched up my strengths. And then when you, you know, connect them all together, it was like, oh, well, that's why I do that because it's an area that, I can be good at, I can have mastery over, and it just kind of ch checks all the boxes. Yes. So kind of for you, I mean, how do you see that, you know, that kind of the intensity and all those skills that you have in your hobby, how does that translate into the working world for you? Yeah, sure. Well, both, I guess, are very competitive. So that's going to be there, yeah. right? So in business, right, it's just very competitive to be in the marketplace in any kind of a business. You just really got to be on your game, you know, promoting, marketing, being the real deal for the clientele that's relying on you out there. And so same with the, the racing, very, very competitive. And the one thing about 
being on the track and racing is you can't bluff or hide or make stories up as to what went wrong, you know, which you can do in a lot of other areas of life. Um, and then the other similarity is it really is a team in business. You know, your, your business in, in the service it provides is only as good as the team that's really doing most heavy lifting it really is the same, say with the sport of racing. Because if the team in the car is not all there, then you're not going to perform. Um, you could have a, a, a person that's in sales going out meeting clients and you can have a driver driving the car. But what's behind the scenes supporting both of those individuals? So if, yeah, if you can't deliver the product, it's not going to happen. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. So I enjoy that team effort, you know, letting the individuals on the team do their thing and Basically, there each team member is is a leader in their own right. In their like our chief mechanic, and so on. The guy who does the data and the downloads and sharing the, you know, the the data that we all review in the video and showing what the car is doing, what the driver is doing. It's the same thing in the office, right? The production department. That they're really the leaders of what's going on in the job more than me. So it's making connecting all those dots and making it all happen, right? Well, let's shift gears a little bit here. First off, you're, you're bi-coastal, running these businesses. What, do, what are you seeing in the world? Um, and kind of maybe, again, even in your space, you know, things got kind of crazy, I guess, during the COVID, everybody was redoing everything. And now we've got, you know, uh, inflation and interest rates. What, what, what's going on in the industry? What are, you, what are you seeing? Where are things going? Sure. I mean, we're just fortunate to be in an industry that the pandemic really didn't shut down like some business, some industries really feel so bad for, like they just literally light switch got turned off, right? If you're a hotel operator, restaurant, right? Some hospitality, it's like, we just were lucky and fortunate that we were in one of the industries that could keep on going, working, considered essential, working on people's homes. And then the demands kept on going. People, crazy, right? Everybody's going, yeah, I, I gotta mean, stay at home, I'm gonna fix this place up. <laughs> yeah, so it's a very strange time because you had a, an economic upset due to a pandemic that literally had two faces. So at the same time, you had parts of our economy completely shut down and devastated financially and otherwise. They just, they were turned off. The hospitality, the restaurants, the, uh, and then you, you have our industry working on any kind of home service in almost the opposite direction. The demand was there. The surplus of, of funds were available, interest rates low, um, just everything firing off. And if anything, what became more of a challenge for most people in our industry was managing that demand, not right. being able to handle even the and phone the supply, calls. The supply chain in. for it yeah, too as well, right? Just from, from the phone calls coming in to handle the amount of you know leads that would come to a, a business to the materials being unavailable, like I said, supply chain issues. Um, and then employment, right, of the people. Um, just a very strange time, right? I don't think anyone could have ever dreamed it would happen that way that we had. Yeah, we didn't plan that one. Yeah, two, <laughs> we right, definitely didn't plan that two one. phases of the, uh, the pandemic. You just, and so we did nothing to be on the good, the high demand side. We just happened to be there doing what we do. And worked out so, that, yeah. yeah. Right now, I think things are, our industry is still very strong. Um, we still have a lot of demand and there's no indicator of that really changing a whole lot, maybe slowing, plateauing a little, but not, you know, there doesn't seem to be anything in our home improvement remodeling industry that says we're in for any kind of huge downturn. 
What are you optimistic about? So when you kind of look at the world, we got a lot of craziness going on, right? You got people reporting to you and, and probably get kind of wound up about things or whatever. What are you optimistic about? Where, where's, where are things going in your mind? Or really, where are you hoping things are going? Well, it's the same with my whole career, I guess, as far as being optimistic. It, this industry that I'm in, the, the home improvement remodeling industry, I've always been very optimistic about. It. I've always loved it. And I have to thank my dad for that because I didn't put myself into it. I've been doing this since I was 12 years old, swinging a hammer. It's a staple, right? I mean, it's we're talking about people's homes and it's never going to go away. It's never going to become obsolete. Our industry is always going to have a need. People are always going to need work done to their home one way or the other. So I've always been, I've always felt very fortunate about being in this industry because of that. And if you look at a lot of industries, they get completely flipped 180, right? Technology will just make something completely disappear and then something completely new has to take its place. And we just don't have that. We have technology and we have enhancements and products will come out, but the core basics of people will need their kitchen and their baths updated. They'll need an addition, a roof, a siding, hot water heater, all these things. And so that's always what I've been optimistic about is that I'm in an industry with our team that is always going to be here for us. And so we're always going to be here for it. I'd be a little faster or slower at certain times, but ultimately it's always there and the need is there. It's kind of like eating, right? We we all got to continue to eat. Yeah, it's a staple. What's the big idea? You you leave uh, or someone's listening to our podcast and are leaving their car and going into the office. Uh, What's what's the big thought that you have for them that you would like to leave them with? Oh boy, you're putting me on the spot. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I'm not even sure if this is a big idea or not, but you know, uh, I just turned 60. I'm not sure what that means yet. Um, but I can tell you. <laughs> can you? <laughs> okay. I've been there and done that, man. All right. All right. It's not all bad. The yeah, water's, not, yeah. water's nice and warm. Jump on in. <laughs> there you go. It's yeah. a mile marker though. Yeah, exactly. So it doesn't, it's funny because I don't know why, but in my 20s, 30s and 40s, I, I used to be, um, distracted for a better word, but think about, you know, retirement, exit, when's it all going to be, you know, it's funny, but now I don't even really think about that. I just keep doing what I do and I like what I do. And I, and I do a lot of reading of, you know, and looking into other people in our society, but whether they're politicians, CEOs, and if you just Google, you know, the average age of the CEO in the United States or how many CEOs in the United States are over 70. So my point is like a lot of people are in their seventies doing what they've been doing and they continue on doing it. And of course we know many that are going to 80 and eighties. So I guess, you know, the big idea maybe for me is like, not to sweat it so much about this whole, you know, exit, retire, get out. I mean, I think it will come to each individual when it comes. When it's time. But I probably spent the 20 years just like somewhat distracted about it. And now I'm just not because I don't really see. Oh, your financial advisor was a. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I know they're always, you know, they're always working that angle, of course. Right, but right. And times have changed a bit, maybe 40 years ago generally retiring mid sixties was probably pretty average commonplace. And today that's not the case, right? A lot of people try retiring in the mid sixties and they, they come back, they bring you back in, right? Today, it seems more commonplace that instead of retire, it's more like reinvent, right? right? Or maybe modify or adjust. A lot of people are in well into their seventies and beyond staying in a career, keeps you mentally healthy, relevant, but that's also a personal decision. Some people, if they have the ability to 
say, retire and exit out from the little working day-to-day and whatever their business is, and they can do other things. Uh, it's not right or wrong. It's a personal decision. Okay. I guess, you know, I, I think a lot of us have spent probably a lot of time pondering and thinking and stressing over the whole exit retire thing. And I, I personally, in my idea, I'm maybe in about 10 years when I'm 70, I'll start thinking about it. Well, you know, you, you and I were talking earlier and I, I shared the fact that uh, I was looking at 72. I launched the jailbreak leadership business model at 62. And I said, this is a 10 year run. Just made that claim. <laughs> I like it. And, you know, now I'm six years into it and I'm like going, yeah. And, and it actually is, I think the key is this, how you start to narrow down on the parts you really like to do. I think that becomes the game changer. So if you're really doing things that you like to do, that you can have some mastery around, you feel like it has some meaning and impact for you and the people you're involved with, then it just kind of changes the equation. But I also think as we get older too, is just, uh, can we play the game a little differently too? We just play our role. We yeah. don't have to be taking over the kingdom. We just, right. just go do what we do well yeah. and enjoy that. And versus that doggy dog thing that maybe we did when we were in our 30s and 40s. So. Yeah. yeah, you build your, you know, Got to build, build a life it. around you. Yeah, right? yeah. Including the professional part of your life. Well, that was the message I was hoping we could deliver with this show today, Tom, is you've done a great job of uh, building businesses and doing a great job, but also saying, you know, how do you, how do you turn this over? Let other people do what they do. Give you the freedom to go do some other things in life. Again, I'm highly jealous of you, what you do with the, the car racing thing. So I have to come see you sometime. You can do it. Yeah, beyond the videos, come see you. All right. Well, thanks again for coming on the show. Congratulations on winning the uh, the Torch Award after many years of working at that. You've now got that claim. You can hang that in the old lobby out there. That's a wonderful thing. You bet. Thank you. Well, that's our show for today. And if you enjoyed it, please subscribe, comment, and most importantly, share the podcast with a friend. Again, special thanks to our collaborative community of San Diego business organizations, the Better Business Bureau, Conscious Capitalism, Be Loco, and Cause San Diego. We're all using the influence of business to positively impact our very own community of San Diego. I'm Jeff Lanton from Jailbreak Leadership saying, until next time, go do what you do. Go do what you do best, for we're all counting on you.